This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio, we ask the tough questions. Hey, you got any left-handed footballs? We're never afraid to tell you how we feel. Come on, we look like the damn bad news bears. We'll debate sports. We'll debate anything. Man, you lying. You ain't never met Martin Luther King. Not the winner, but yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he did not. No matter what, Tobacco Road Sports Radio has you covered. I'm going to come right back at it. Soldier. You're listening to Tobacco Road Sports Radio. You are watching Frankly Speaking Sports live from Charlotte, North Carolina. evening we are going to have in about 15 minutes sports radio talk host of wfnz nick wilson that's right the nick wilson will be joining us live right here on frankly speaking sports Want to remind everyone and thank everybody that's on Northeast Streaming Sports Roku channel right now. Watching us live. We're on YouTube Live TV. We are right now being reached out to over 55 million potential viewers. And we want to thank everyone so very much for tuning in tonight. Want to also remind everybody if you like to leave comments on whether it's anything in the world of sports, we will get to it and put it right up on the screen as soon as we can, and we will try to answer all the questions that you may have uh, with us. But like I said, about 15 minutes from now, from WFNZ Sports Talk Radio host Nick Wilson will be joining us live. Looking forward to that. A lot of things we want to talk to Nick about, and hopefully we'll be able to do that in about 15 minutes. But last night, folks, for those of you that did not see the game, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't even cute. The Rams all over the Cardinals, 34-11, great defense in the first half, um, an unbelievable game for the Rams, um, who had 21 nothing on a half. The Rams' defense was awesome with a capital A. And I need a capital A right here, folks. They, uh, the Cardinals were 0 for 8. That's right, 0 for 8 on third down conversions. They had two turnovers, two sacks. One of those turnovers being a pick six by David Long, which gave them a huge lead in this game. Uh, they held the Cardinals, the Rams, to 183 yards, 60 yards rushing only. Odell Beckham. Uh, Cooper Cup each had a touchdown. Matt Stafford, 13 to 17, 202 yards, two touchdowns, and one rushing touchdown as well. But meanwhile, the Rams 
rushed for 140 yards. That little duo of Sonny Michaels and now having Cam Akers back was so important for this Ram teams as this team rushed for 140 yards, Akers with one touchdown as well. Meanwhile, the Rams will play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's right. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, they will be playing them at 3 p.m. I'm sorry, I almost said 1 p.m. 3 p.m. this Sunday. Um, Want to also, um, you know, remind everybody that tomorrow night we will preview, we will recap all of the upcoming games this weekend in the divisional rounds. And believe me, you got some unbelievable games, especially with um, the uh, Cowboy. I'm sorry, excuse me, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Los Angeles Rams. But like I said, we got about 10 minutes before Nick comes on. I want to go ahead and talk about an unbelievable thing that is going on right now in the Charlotte area. And for those of you folks that follow the Charlotte Hornets, have won their last 7 out of 10 games. That's right. Last 7 out of 10 games, the Charlotte Hornets have won. Yesterday they won again by 10 over the New York Knicks, 97-87. But this game was over long before that. And, you know, the great thing about this Hornets team, folks, and if you're a fan of the Hornets, I know you'll agree, it seems like every single day it is somebody else leading this team to victory. Yesterday, LaMelo Ball is out. Who steps up? Miles Bridges, 38 points yesterday. Five assists, 12 rebounds, 22 points, folks, in the first quarter. He went seven of eight in the first quarter. He had five of nine three-pointers. It was just an unbelievable first quarter scoring 22 points. Meanwhile, Terry, the man, Rozier, 22 points, seven assists. Six rebounds, and he knocked in four three-pointers. Gordon Hayward chipped in 16 points, um, two rebounds, four assists, and Cody Martin had seven rebounds and nine points. And I'll tell you what, this is a team that, you know, has to make a decision here by February 10th at the trade deadline. This is a very, very good team. The Charlotte Hornets at 24-20 and 20 right now. Um, and they are playing terrific basketball. The one thing this team is going to have to decide is they can use a big man to protect that rim, to grab some rebounds, both on the offensive and defensive side of the boards. And it's going to be a question on do, what do they want to give away to get that big man. This team has the ability, folks. Listen to me. They have the ability to go ahead and make the playoffs, but a big man is going to solidify this team and make it a lot better team. Now, this team has been playing much better defense the last five or six games. They held the Knicks, who are not a bad team, to 87 points yesterday. 87 points. The big problem that I see when you look at this team is they're not successful on the road. They're only 12 and 14 on the road. And yes, a lot of their schedule has been played on the road. I think they played eight more games on the road than they have at home so far this year. But great teams win on the road. You cannot be considered a good team or a great team unless you can start 
winning on the road or until you can start winning on the road. And I'll tell you what, James Moreno, great job with this team, getting them playing some great, great basketball, and they really stepped up the defense of late. And, you know, you got to ask yourself, this team has a lot of depth. They have a guy that is not even on the team. He's back at the G League named James Booknight, who I'm telling you right now, folks, can play on any NBA team right now and be a stud. This guy, we got to see him in action when he stepped up, scored 20-something points when he played for the Hornets when some of our guys were out with COVID. This is a good guy, and he has a lot of value. The question is going to be, do you want to give up a talent like James Booknight? But at the end of the day, the guy is not playing, and he deserves to be playing. This guy could be a top-notch basketball player in the NBA. But when you guys got, when we got guys like LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, Oubre, Bridges, uh, Hayward, and I, I'm sure I'm missing some there, folks, but when you go ahead and you put this team together, they are gelling at the right time. To win yesterday without their all-star, LaMelo Ball was tremendous. To win the last seven out of ten games, two of those games, back-to-back -back against the defending NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks. One of those was versus the Sixers, another great team with Emblet on that team. These were some great wins and some great basketball. Unfortunately, they had a letdown to Orlando, and, you know, we're not going to sit here, make excuses, and say why they did um, and why they didn't. But at the end of the day, they came back. Played good enough basketball. I won't say great basketball, but they played good enough basketball to beat the New York Knicks yesterday and move to a record of 24 and 20. So, great, great job by the Hornets. And uh, looking forward, I believe they play Boston tomorrow night in Boston. What a great win that will be to be on the road, win on the road. And those are games, folks. They have to win. So wait till tomorrow night at 8 p.m., I believe, is game time at the Boston Garden. We're going to go ahead and move over now to Panthers news for all you Panther fans out there. You know, we haven't had much to talk about um, lately here, but, you know, news coming down, and we're getting closer and closer and getting down to the final interviews for offensive coordinator for the Tampa, um, for, excuse me, I said Tampa, um, for the uh, Carolina Panthers, um, they have, I just got it officially uh, confirmed that they have interviewed Jay Gruden. Matt Rule has interviewed Jay Gruden, and he has now interviewed former New York Giants head coach and offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo. Ben McAdoo, I know a lot of people in the show there are not too familiar with him, but he was offensive coordinator for the New York Giants and actually did one hell of a job there. He had two years in a row with Eli Manning as the quarterback. He had top 10 offenses. That's right, folks. And actually, those two years that he was offensive coordinator for the Giants, Eli Manning had his best statistical numbers of any other years that he played in the NFL. Now, you got to remember something, 
okay? And it's very, very important to remember that there's a difference between being a head coach and an offensive coordinator. You can be one hell of an offensive coordinator or one hell of a defensive coordinator, but at the same time, you could be a terrible head coach. The head coach is in charge of everything. He overlooks everything. He delegates to the coordinators. He holds the coordinators accountable. But at the end of the day, the coordinators call the plays defensively or offensively of course, with the last say being said by the head coach. But don't think because he was not a good head coach, you know, that he is not a good offensive coordinator. This is a man with a lot of NFL experience, which the Panthers need. And Aaron Rodgers praises this guy up and down when he was quarterback coach with the Green Bay Packers. Although some people say they don't like him. Aaron Rodgers, who is not necessarily the easiest to get along with, has nothing but good things to say to say about him. So, you know, that's great news. Um, let's hope it goes, you know, but I don't think anything's going to be announced here in the next couple of weeks, probably till the next couple of weeks as the playoffs come to a conclusion and maybe right before Super Bowl, you know, they're going to take that time. They're going to see who's available. But please, folks, don't underestimate Ben McAdoo. Ben McAdoo is a very, very good offensive coordinator, and he can. He is what Matt Rule may need. Somebody with that experience, NFL experience, that has been a head coach, that had many bumps in New York, and might be able to help Matt in certain situations where he has questions. You know, we got to get over this, folks. Every single person they interview, we don't like. We don't want. He sucks. This one sucks. Now, at the end of the day, folks, you got to have somebody in these positions. You can't negate or neglect every single person that's around. It's not like we have the most attractive Thing to offer an offensive coordinator. Sam Donald is the quarterback. Ben McAdoo did not think that Sam Donald would be a very good quarterback in the NFL. And if you base it on performance so far up to date, Ben McAdoo has been exactly right on what he thought about Sam Donald. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have the host of WFNZ Sports Talk Radio. We'll have him on in about, probably in about two minutes. We'll have Nick Wilson on. Let's go ahead and take a break. And we'll be back right after this. Tobacco Road Sports Radio is so excited to be your home for triad sports. heard you loud and clear our mission is to give you what you want you know what i want i've been asking for it for years give it to me give me what i want the best sports talk and live sports in the triad period what's up everybody live Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Score once again with Brett Wiseman. Hello and welcome back to the Pit Stop here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Welcome back to Franchise Players, your home for Triad Sports coverage. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. And if you think that's great, 
Wait until you see what's next. It's going to be good. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Tune in at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. And don't forget to download the new Roku channel, Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, the other day I'm looking around and I'm saying, I need to become part of a Carolina Panthers group that stays positive even in these tough times. And I'll tell you what, boy, have I found a group, the Carolina Panthers Den. It's on Facebook and you need to join today. This is a group that stays positive, has a good time, and interacts with a lot of other different Carolina Panthers fans. If you want to have a great time and talk about your team, encourage your team in a way that is done very professionally, then become a member of the Carolina Panthers Den on Facebook. Make sure to join today. You are watching Frankly Speaking Sports, live from Charlotte, North Carolina. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. You can see the display behind me, Wilson and Northfleet. They come on 10 a.m. on uh, WFNZ Monday through Friday, 6.10 a.m. And I believe it is 102.5 FM. And it is my great honor, thrill, and pleasure to introduce to you the Sports Radio Talk Show host, at WFNZ, let's welcome in Nick Wilson. Nick, how you doing today, buddy? Pretty good, bud. Thanks for having me. I got to tell you, Larry, um, this is going to be a great social experiment, me joining your show. Because uh, even though I set three alarms for this to make sure I'd be here, I definitely took melatonin at 8 p.m. tonight. So if I happen to nod out in the in at any point in this, just realize it's because I'm heavily medicated. All right, that's a deal. Let me go ahead and just fix it. There we go. Want to try to get me back up there for some reason. I'm not showing in the camera, so stay with me one second there. We'll fix that real quickly. Oh, this is exactly where. I, there you go. There we go. We got the WFNZ banner behind us, buddy. Wanted to make sure we did that. Let me ask you a question, Nick. Before we get into um, sports-related topics here in Charlotte, I know you came from Ohio. You're a big uh, fan of Ohio teams up there. What, what's what been the major difference? I know I think in 2018 you came over here to Charlotte with WFNZ. What's been the major difference between working out there in the Cleveland area or the Ohio area and here in Charlotte, North Carolina? There hasn't been a huge difference, um, mostly because I covered a lot of dysfunctional teams in Cleveland. And I seem to have brought that dysfunction down here with me. Um, no, I mean, the, it. I think the main difference is just uh, when you are from somewhere, there is a uh, there is a license that you can speak with and you can pretty much say anything you want. Uh, not being native to Charlotte. Um, you know, I think there is a sensitivity to the fact that I am a transplant. And so it's something that I try to and not always really succeed at, but that I try to be a little bit sensitive to 
that, you know, there are gatekeepers for Charlotte sports. And uh, so, so I tried to do my best to, uh, to respect those. It, whereas at home, I wouldn't have to do that because I am an OG Clevelander. Right. Now, let me ask you this. I want to jump right into um, sports here in Charlotte. We're going to start off with the good stuff, Ben. I was always told, stop good, bad, and then go back to good. So I'm going to practice this with that. Charlotte Hornets are starting to play unbelievable basketball. 24 and 20 on the year. They won their last seven out of 10 games. Talk about this team and how it seems like on every single day. Example yesterday, LaMelo Ball is out. Miles Bridges steps up, scores 38 points in that game. Talk about how it seems like on every night a different player on this Hornets team is stepping up and making a huge difference. Yeah, they kind of remind me of, of last year's Memphis Grizzlies. You know, last year's Memphis Grizzlies, John Morant clearly was – on the ascension to be a great player. Jaron Jackson is a really, you know, they've, you know, Dylan Brooks, they've got good players, but what really made Memphis so lethal last year was that they could play 11 deep. And so that allowed them to kind of remain more energetic, deeper into the season. And I, I think it really gave their head coach, uh, Taylor Jenkins, a lot of different options to, to choose from. I, I've kind of called that James Borrego's conundrum here. This is an incredibly deep team. And Borrego doesn't go too much deeper than about nine guys deep. But, you know, when Ubre's out or Lamelo's out or one of the bigs is out, you know, you've got some young developmental pieces. Jalen McDaniels has really become a nice young piece. Cody Martin has really developed into a hell of a sixth man, seventh man coming off the bench. And even beyond those guys, James Booknight, anytime that kid's played double-digit minutes, He's produced offensively for them. You know, we, we haven't even seen Kai Jones, who we thought or hoped rather would be the rim protector, the rim protector that they've been missing. He doesn't seem to be quite ready for that role yet. But if you hear Borrego talk about him, James Borrego, Hornets head coach, just it raves about the all-star potential of Kai Jones. So I think the reality is they do it for, they're able to do this for two reasons. They've, one, I, I, I don't think enough can be said about the culture built by James Borrego and Mitch Kupchak. And it is a culture unlike anything Charlotte basketball has seen in a very long time because everybody's invested, you know, everybody's working towards the same goal. And it's a it's really a program built on hard work and on player development. I think the other thing is, as I've said, they're just an incredibly deep team. You know, at, at one point, uh, because of COVID, this was a team that was missing seven guys. Yep. That's 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 a that's a rotation. <laughs> that's a starters and two guys off the bench, and they were able to kind of buoy those water, waters for a short amount of time. So it, it's really about depth, and it's really about the culture that's been built here. We're talking to Nick Wilson, Sports Radio Talk Show host at WFNZ. Nick, you mentioned James Booknight. I love the guy. I think the guy has a potential to be an all-star in the NBA. My question to you is, is there a place for this young man on this Hornets team, or do you see possibly by February 10th, the trade deadline, them maybe putting him in a deal with maybe a Plumlee to go after a big man who can protect the rim? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think both can be true. 
Um, I have said that I'd be completely comfortable with this team exploring the value of Kelly Oubre. I think Kelly Oubre is a guy who could, uh, who's on a, you know, really affordable contract and a short-term contract. He's signed through next year. Anybody that can score that way, that is a three and D wing player like Kelly Oubre. I, I think you're going to have a market for, uh, the question is what contenders, cause that's who would be looking for Kelly Oubre jr. You know, what contenders have rim protection to spare. Um, but, but getting back to it, I feel that way about Kelly Oubre because I think James Booknight is just waiting for an opportunity. I, I think the kid's ready to score in the NBA today. And I think he could be part of the long-term core that builds around LaMelo ball. I think he has a really special upside for a kid that was taken outside the top seven, top eight in the lottery. Um, and I think because of that, I, I think the Hornets are in a great position. I think it would make a lot of sense for them to sacrifice some of their depth in order to build the starting lineup a little bit better and, and getting a true rim protector, which they have not had the entirety of James Borrego's time here. I'd hate to see James Booknight be the guy that gets you that because I think he has real long-term value. But I, I can't be naive and say that uh, that he won't be a part of that because I think a lot of young teams look at him and see what he's done already and, and see a kid that can be instant offense, whether it's in their starting lineup, depending on who they have, or, or coming off the bench. Now, you mentioned LaMelo Ball. Talk about how special this kid has been since he's been here with the Hornets. So the final episode of my show, um, this would be last November, so two Novembers ago. The the final episode of my show leading into uh, the draft night, uh, my final thing was uh, I, my, we do a segment called What You Burning On? And I was burning on the fact that the Hornets were sitting in a great spot at three and whoever fell for them was, you know, that was going to be the right pick. And then I said, unless that pick is LaMelo Ball. And I said, you can't take LaMelo Ball. You can't bring that sideshow. And then they promptly went out there took LaMelo Ball, and he was so much better than really I think anybody had any thought that he could be as a rookie. And I don't think we've – I don't think just in general there's been enough thought process put into this is a kid who went from high school basketball to Lithuania as a young teenager, get into Australia, and then became a top three pick based off tape in your and like the my, low minor leagues and by the way he came out in the midst of covid with no real nba offseason with no time to get into nba training and he came out who's the rookie of the year and the kid has only gotten better this year and so you know i i was mentioning it today on the show because i'm obsessed with building the big three here in charlotte Right. Uh, that's that's the big currency in in sports. Can you build a big three? I think LaMelo Ball is so incendiary already. And I think he has so much higher upside to aspire to, given his skill set. I think LaMelo, as he continues to develop as a scorer, I think his true ceiling is somebody who can be the best player on a championship team. And that's not something I thought when they drafted him two Novembers ago when I was screaming about it, uh, you know, the next day on the radio. Yeah, let me ask you this. And, you know, I love LaMelo Ball. I love what he brings to the table. Just an unbelievable 
uh, ability that he has. When you talk about the Hornets and becoming a playoff team and working their way towards the playoff, you know, all of us know that deal with sports, that do sports talk, that the great teams learn to win on the road. Yet the Hornets have had that trouble. Now, let's remember they have played a majority of their games this year on the road, eight more games on the road than at home. How does Coach Borrego change the mindset when they're on the road so that they can start winning some of these games that they basically should win? Um, so I think that's I think it's a complex question. One, I think it points we, we can't put – I mean, I, I was just the guy saying the thing about LaMelo being the best player on a championship team, so, you know, heed my words. But I think we also have to remember, for all the things we can talk about this roster, they're still the fifth youngest roster in the NBA. Yeah. So some of the road woes, that's going to happen. I'll also say their road woes were tied in directly with their, their defense – which was tied directly into, you know, everybody talks about the rim-protecting issues. They, quite frankly, just didn't play hard enough defensively. That's not a culture issue. That's a young guys in the NBA have to learn on any given night. Somebody can show up. Listen, the, I, I've talked about the, the amount of talent here. Last year, this team got by because they s snuck up on everybody. They they gave whomever they played that night their best on any given night, and they knew that for them to win every given night, they had to give their absolute best performance. They know now they don't have to. They know they can go the route, which a lot of teams do now in the NBA, which is, ah, it's November. I'll flip the switch when, when, it, when it matters. And so they had to learn. If you look at the last probably 10, 11 games, look at the defense. The defense is completely different. They didn't all of a sudden get a rim protector. They didn't go pick out a couple 3 and D guys on the uh, buyout market, go for Joe Johnson, who's 97 years old. No, they just started, you know, trying to play defense. And so I think that to me is one of the, the real kind of things here is they played more home games uh, through the month of December than anybody else had in the NBA. And they were still – two games above 500 heading into uh, 2022 slate of the schedule. So I think some of this is they're young. Some of this is that they're young and playing a lot of home games. And some of this is they're young and they realize they don't have to play 100% as hard as they can the way they did last year because they know that they're kind of the – sorry to use this phrase – the shit. Yep. Well, we're talking to Nick Wilson, sports radio talk show host at WFNZ. I want to switch over to the Panthers, and it was, I believe, last week, if I remember correctly, Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you had the opportunity a couple times on WFNZ to interview head coach Matt Rule. What was, in your opinion, Nick, the attitude and morale of Coach Rule and talk about the importance of this team finding the right offensive coordinator. Um, yeah, Coach uh, showed up on the morning show, and then two hours later, I interviewed him, which is which is definitely a first um, in in my career, radio career. Um, not a complaint, by the way. I, I I found him to be, you know, I I think Matt has narratives that that he sells. Um, I don't necessarily agree with all of them, 
But I heard a guy that's a little bit flabbergasted about why things went as, as far south as they did. And I hear a guy that's frustrated because he understands he's selling a process that doesn't look like it's working right now. And so I, I thought he was as transparent as he can be. I think the most troubling thing to me is I still haven't heard from Matt Rule. And he's, you know, I asked him point blank, what do you need to get better at? And, you know, he, he, he said, maybe I need to be a little bit more demanding of my players and maybe I need to communicate a little bit better with my players, which I, which I think is okay. That's an interesting thought, but I don't think it means anything to people trying to track what Matt, like I, does Matt rule need a, a game management coach? Does Matt rule need head coach, uh, a former NFL head coach on his staff? Uh, maybe in that offensive coordinator position. I think those are two things. And it feels as if every – and I, there's actually a promo running on our station right now. It still feels as if some of the time I hear Matt talk and I hear a guy who it sounds like this is happening to him instead of he is a part of this. And I don't know if that's intentionally. I don't know if maybe I'm just reading too much into it, all of which could be happening. But – I'd really like to hear on the record why Matt Rule thinks it hasn't worked out. Because it's not as simple as teams have bad quarterback play. And uh, look at Miami. Tua Tungalailoa was pretty awful. And they won nine games. Mm -hmm. um, teams have overcome bad offensive line play. Miami literally overcame awful quarterback play and awful offensive line play. They won nine games. So – it's tough for me to hear anyone say, well, they're still playing hard. And then we turn around and you're getting walloped in the second half of the season. You're not just losing like you were a year ago where you collapsed, which we all kind of forgave and forgot. No, you were getting blown out half the time. I think it was six of their last 12 games this year were lost by 12, uh, 14 points or more. That's an ass whooping. That's a, uh, that you got took out. And, and, and by the way, it wasn't just to Tampa Bay who beat the crap out of you um, through with three weeks to go in the season. It was the New York friggin' giants. Daniel, you made Daniel Jones look like Joe freaking Montana. <laughs> you made Mac Jones. That was one of Mac Jones best games this year at bank of America stadium, by the way. And what ended up being Sam Darnold's final start before he went on the IR and then the Cam Newton thing began. So I just, the idea that, well, we just weren't talented enough. Well, you were more talented than you were the year before. Well, yeah. the offensive line. Well, the offensive line was bad the year before and you had the same amount of success and other teams have overcome bad offensive line play. They're just... And I think maybe Matt Rule's protecting players. Maybe Matt Rule's protecting, you know, guys that either are or aren't on his staff anymore. Maybe that's all part of this as well. And I think that's really what brings to the importance here. Um, he's really – when I say nail, I think sometimes we we love the offensive coordinator hires, the assistant hires. We want, to, we want that to be a validating thing. We want that to be, you know, like Joe Brady was when Matt, oh my God, they got the kid who was just responsible for the LSU title. Um, I, I don't need them to win the name game, but I need them. I need Matt rule to find somebody 
that is going to be able to follow the script that he puts out there. When I say the script, I mean, if he wants to run the ball 35 times a game, put it out there. And more importantly, I personally need to see somebody with some sort of a track record at the as a play caller because that was – I think that really hurt Joe Brady. He did not have play calling experience in the NFL. And once things went sideways, McCaffrey would get injured or, you know, Cam Irving would be out or last year it was Russell Okung being out or, you know, Teddy Bridgewater – there was always some reason why the train went off the track. And I, I don't just need – play calling experience, I, I think they need a former NFL head coach. So when things start to go sideways, he has somebody in the building that he can go to and say, uh, what's going on here? Because I don't quite understand what's going on within our locker room and why we're getting the crap kicked out of us. Yeah, you know, Nick, two of the names, I mean, earlier we found out they, they did confirm that they did interview former Washington uh, Redskins at that time, head coach Jay Gruden for the job. And latest everyone's hearing is Ben McAdoo, former head coach of the New York Giants. But the thing with McAdoo, and, you know, I always tell people the greatest coach is not necessarily the best coordinator and vice versa. And here's a good example of that. McAdoo, when he was in New York or New Jersey, Eli Manning had his best statistical career, uh, stat career, uh, those two years he was there. Both Giants teams were in the top ten in offense. Now, he did a terrible job as an offensive coach. Um, Aaron Rodgers praises him up and down when he was the quarterback coach at Green Bay. Why are so many people negative on this guy who exactly is what you just said has NFL coaching experience may not be good, but he's been through a heck of a lot of bumps, which is a lot better in some cases to help Matt rule. And he was an effective play caller in New York. So I think it's a few reasons. One, uh, people will have and rightfully so have problems divorcing um, him as a head coach from him as an OC. Um, And so I think that's impacting a little bit. I also think the fact that he hasn't had a steady job since he was fired by the Giants is a little troubling. He was the quarterback's coach for Jacksonville two years ago, and then he was a consultant for Dallas this year. Um, You would expect a guy who was a good offensive coordinator. Like It's very rare that you find good offensive coordinators. So if the rest of the NFL thought he was that good of an offensive coordinator – you wonder if maybe he would have gotten an OC job coming out of the Giants gig. Here's here's my real concern. One of the other things I want about this OC job is I'd love to see somebody who has experience with a less than great quarterback situation. Um, The two quarterbacks we've seen Ben McAdoo do work with are Aaron Rodgers and Eli Manning, two Hall of Famers. And even though I still feel like Eli is a little bit overrated in his career, you know, I I compare, uh, you know, and here's a name that I love, Pat Shermer. All right. Again, another bad head coach that's a pretty good offensive coordinator. And the reason why I like Pat Shermer is in 2017 in, in Minnesota, he had an offense that had Case Keenum as the starter, who's not been a starter outside of what, what, eight games the next year in Denver. And he had them in the uh, – he had that offense capable of being 
in the NFC title game. Then this year, in year one of Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Bridgewater was a lot better quarterback in Denver this year than he was last year in Carolina. Now, some of that is they have they actually have a really nice offensive line. Some of that is Pat Shermer got more out of Teddy Bridgewater than Joe Burrow did last year. And I think the reason why that's relevant is whomever the offensive coordinator is, you're walking into a pretty rough situation. You're walking into Sam Darnold is your starter. And if they go the veteran route to replace Sam, uh, the best you're going to do is a middle-of-the-road guy, a Jimmy Garoppolo, a Kirk Cousins. That's a name that popped up today. And even if not, even if you go to the quarterback route, well, this is a this is kind of a hit-or-miss crop of quarterbacks. And I need somebody who, who if if they take Kenny Pickett, I need somebody that I can look at and say, even if you haven't developed a quarterback yet, I want to see where you've gotten more out of somebody than anybody else had. And that's why, to me, Shermer makes so much sense, given his work with Case Keenum and, and Teddy B. Nick, you mentioned uh, Kenny Pickett. Obviously, we have one draft pick. I think it's number six was the latest mm-hmm. um, the pick we have. It's our only pick right now until, like, round five, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, in your opinion, if Pickett is available at number six, do you take him, or would you rather go after a guy like from Alabama, an offensive tackle like Neal, if he's still available? Um, so about two months ago, I was quarterback or bust. Um, and then this offensive line continued to get more awful. And and I'll be honest with you, I just I, I think it's easier to get and fix the offensive line and make that offensive line elite this offseason than it is to find an elite quarterback. I don't know if Kenny Pickett is elite. There's some Brandon Whedon to his game. The man was in college when FDR was president. So I'm I'm a little concerned about Kenny's age. Matt Corral is a really nice player in Ole Miss. Um, You know who I really like? I really like Malik Willis. Um, one of the guys from CBS Sports the other day called Malik Willis the Josh Allen of this class. Now, they're different players. Um, Malik's a little bit smaller. Um, they're both power runners. Malik's probably a little bit more inaccurate coming out of college. But they're both insanely raw products who can can thrive and become superstar talents in the NFL, as Josh Allen has. But the key is, do you have – continuity in place do you have a plan in place and are you going to allow yourself as an organization to be patient justin fields got job this year by matt Nagy's job security and ryan pace's job security and the fact that they brought in andy dalton that that job and that that really hurt and set back the development of Justin Fields, who, as once he got out there on the field, was proven wasn't ready to be on the field. You can't do that with Malik Willis. Malik Willis is coming from a smaller school. So I guess my greater point is, right now, what they do at six, including trade down, which I think is a real option, is predicated on how much money can they move around and how creative can they get with the assets that they have. Because if you don't have if you if all you have is the six pick, that you're only picking the top one hundred, whatever that pick is, better be a day one impact, game changing, organizational kind of player. 
it's the wrong year if you only have one pick in the top 100 to reach for a quarterback. That being said, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, Brian Burns might be the kind of guys that you could explore their value this offseason and see if you can recruit more picks and, uh, and see what you can do from there. Nick, last question on the uh, Panthers, and we're talking to Nick Wilson, sports radio talk show host at WFNZ. And I asked this question because part of this is my opinion, too. Is it maybe that our offensive line was not as bad as we thought, but maybe the wrong personnel was being used on the offensive line? And when I say that, I mean that young kid Brown, Brady Christensen, not getting a lot of reps till maybe the last game. Are these two guys that can still fit into this picture and solidify with maybe one solid other person um, solidify this offensive line? I think um, – I definitely think Brady Christensen should have been starting at left tackle a lot earlier this season. And, it, you know, I think if Matt Rule was being honest, he would say – one of the biggest mistakes is once Brady went in at left tackle and had a good game that first game, that he should have stuck him in there. Instead, he he tried to bring Cam Irving back, and then there was, I think, Dennis Daly for a moment. And so I do think I'm I'm pretty certain Brady Christensen, whether it's at left tackle or guard, can be a Pro Bowl caliber player, specifically a guard. I agree with that assessment that he could be a really great guard. Uh, I don't know about Deontay Brown because they they stuck to their guns and decided to play John Miller and Dennis Daly and Trent Scott and all these other slappies at the uh, guard position. So I think you have two offensive linemen that are set this offseason. I think you have Brady Christensen and you have Taylor Moat. And I think the thing that makes most sense is maybe bringing in a veteran right guard to compete with Deontay Brown. Um, that could be Pat Elfline, by the way. That could be Cam Irving. Maybe slide one of those guys over there and see. But they're going to need to get at least two starters this offseason, be it in free agency or the draft. And it it's probably going to have to be left tackle and center, which unfortunately is two of the toughest places to find starters in the NFL because they are the most important positions on the offensive line. Yeah, a couple more questions, Nick. I'm going to let you run. I know I kept you a little longer than expected, but we're two months away from Charlotte FC starting up here in uh, Charlotte. How big is it for us to get a professional soccer team here in Charlotte? Um, Yeah, it's pretty significant. Uh, It was one of the big things Dave Tepper set upon when he he came to, to Charlotte. And uh, it's been kind of cool to watch happen. It really hasn't been real the first, you know, the first two years of existence for Charlotte FC. But the last, uh, you know, as they've started to add players and they added a, a chief fan officer, who uh, Sean McIntosh, who I interviewed on today's show, um, it started to become real. And I think, you know, it we think of sports fan as this one giant crowd and they all you know all sports fans have the same interests and that's just not true you know there are hornets fans who are uh you know giants fans and there are panthers fans who like this team and especially in a transplant town you know not every fan base is there's a huge crossover and 
you know, soccer is the fastest growing sport in America. Yeah. That's been said a, a million times by people smarter than I am. So I think it's going to be a huge thing. And the big, the big question is like, I think with any organization coming into this town, with the amount of transplants and the amount of people here and the different amount of the different amount of people from different walks of life. I think it is. Can you win this year? Can you be good out of the gate? And I think that's why it makes so much. That's why it's so important that Dave Tepper is the guy that brought the team here because Dave Tepper is a guy who will spend asinine amounts of money to get what he wants, which is good football teams on the field. How do you think the fans will react to soccer being here in Charlotte? Uh, I mean, I, I listen, if, if it wins, people are going to go. And right. I, you know, from what I've seen in other places, one soccer does a really great job because of the environment in the stadium. Soccer does a really good job of converting people who had no interest in it because of the atmosphere. So if they win, listen, this is a town that just wants a winner. That's it really is when it comes down to it. They want a team that they can hoist a trophy for and say this, you know, this is our team. So I think you already seen that there's a really nice groundswell of support and a lot of diehard uh, Charlotte FC fans before they've really even played a game. So I think it's going to do just fine here unless they come out and they're just the worst team in the league for the next three years. That would be disastrous. But I think if even if they're just consistently competitive and can make the playoffs, man, I, I think it's going to grow like wildfire here. Nick, my last question, I'll let you run. You and I both come from places where baseball was very big. You know, you from Ohio, me from up north and also in Florida the last 35 years. You know, the Charlotte Knights continually, uh, minor league team um, for the Chicago White Sox here in Charlotte, continue to break records with attendance. Do you ever see or maybe how far away do you think it is before Major League Baseball decides on Charlotte? Well, you know, it's been rumored for a long time that, uh, you know, this could be a, a target for relocation or expansion. I think the only question I really have about it is who's going to bring the team here? Um, Dave Tepper has two franchises already. Does Dave Tepper want a third franchise? You know, Michael Jordan's a huge uh, baseball fan. Does Michael Jordan have the collateral to, to bring a team here? My advice to Major League Baseball if they're really set on Charlotte, and I hope they would be, um, and, I, and I hope that it doesn't cost Charlotte, like Washington got cost for a long time, which is these arbitrary and arcane, stupid TV and radio rights deals that really just inhibit the growth of baseball to younger generations and, and to the modern era of the game. Because uh, right now, Charlotte has about 17 teams that are considered in market. That's only slight hyperbole, but Braves, Orioles, uh, Reds, and Nats all have territorial claim to this market. But my only advice would be don't put an expansion team here. Um, if the Tampa Bay Rays end up moving, move them here. That is a great organization in terms of how they're run. And there's an existing structure there that if they were to come into town, if you had a stadium for them to walk into, if that team's ready to compete, I really think, 
I think the city of Charlotte's up for grabs. Um, since I've been down here, it's been more of a Panther town. But anytime the Hornets catch fire, anytime the Hornets have some level of excitement, that buzz starts to build. This town just wants a winner. And whomever is the first team to consistently give this town the winner is going to be the lead horse in terms of what is interesting in this town. So I don't think the fact that Charlotte has been a two-sport town for 30 years, I don't think that should dissuade Major League Baseball. They've got a huge growing population. The corporate base here is better than almost any uh, market in America. So as long as there's a billionaire that wants to come here and make an ass load of money, I think it makes incredible sense. And I, but again, I think it's going to be relocation. I don't think, I don't think the people here, given that there is a huge transplant transplant base, if, I don't think a lot of people are going to be patient with expansion baseball franchise. I want to follow up one more last question because of something you said, you mentioned they want to win it here in Charlotte. All they want is a team that wins. If I'm correct, no team here yet has ever won a championship. Can you imagine what this city would be like if it was the Panthers winning the Super Bowl or the Hornets winning the NBA championship? Could you imagine what this city would be like after that? So before I came here, I was in uh, I was in Cleveland, where I'm from, and uh, I covered the. Cleveland Cavaliers winning the first championship in that city in 64 years. And I really think like, I think it just means more when small markets who never win, get to win. It's why I want Buffalo to win. Right. It's why when uh, Kansas city won the super bowl a couple of years ago, I, I was so thrilled for them because that is a market that people in New York don't give a hoot about. When, when I say people in New York, I'm talking about the advertising executives, the people at, at the four-letter network. They, they don't care what happens there. And a lot of their programming is derived off of, well, that doesn't matter, right? Oh, that's the minor leagues, right? And I think a lot of people in Charlotte feel that same way, that they are not given enough credit, not given enough attention. That was certainly something that people talked about when Cam Newton was at his heights here. And the only thing that they, the only way people could drum up Panthers talk, if it was a way to turn it into being negative about Cam Newton to face the franchise. So yeah, I, 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 I don't really know what that would be like here, but I hope we get to find out soon because uh, if, if the, if the way the fan bases have reacted, when they have been good here since I've been here, uh, this town would catch fire in the best possible way when they finally get that championship they deserve. All right, Nick, we want to thank you so very, very much taking time out of your schedule uh, to speak with us here on Frankly Speaking Sports tonight. Happy to join you, buddy. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Be safe, my friend. You too. All right. That was Nick Wilson from WFNZ Sports Radio. Uh, I want to thank him so very, very much for coming on this evening. I mean, what a great, great interview, especially for you folks here in the uh, Carolina area. I mean, just a lot of great, great stuff there. As I change up our background here for a minute.
There we go. Let's go ahead and take a quick station break. And when we go, and we'll be back right after this message. Ladies and gentlemen, the other day I'm looking around and I'm saying, I need to become part of a Carolina Panthers group that stays positive even in these tough times. And I'll tell you what, boy, have I found a group, the Carolina Panthers Den. It's on Facebook and you need to join today. This is a group that stays positive, has a good time, and interacts with a lot of other different Carolina Panthers fans. If you want to have a great time and talk about your team, encourage your team in a way that is done very professionally, then become a member of the Carolina Panthers Den on Facebook. Make sure to join today. We love sports. Joe Lewis, the greatest pop ever lived. Not only do we love sports, but we love to debate sports. He was bad in Clay. He bad in Sugar Ray. He bad in that. Who that's you? The new boy. Mike, Mike Tyson looked like a bulldog. He bad in him too. He done whipped Mike Tyson's ass. He whipped all the ass. For the best sports analysis in the triad. What about Rocky Marciano? In-depth local coverage of your favorite schools and teams. Let me tell you something wonderful. Rocky Marciano was good. But compared to Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano ain't and of course, the best sports debate in the triad. Big Joe Lewis's ass. Welcome to Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Joe Lewis was 75 years old when he fought. You're welcome. I don't know how old he was. They got it after <laughs> This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. You are watching Frankly Speaking Sports, live from Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank. I want to remind everybody that the replay of this show tonight will be on tomorrow on Tobacco Road Sports Radio.com. That's right, 11 a.m. on Tobacco Road Sports Radio.com. You can re listen to this entire show. I want to thank everyone from Facebook, from the Carolina Panthers Den, from Roku TV. Uh, to Twitch, to Twitter, and so on and so on. Northeast Streaming Sports for tuning in this evening. I want to remind everybody, tomorrow night, we're going to be talking the NFL playoffs, but we're also going to be talking some NBA basketball as well. We're going to have Mark Medina, uh, NBA reporter at NBA.com, will be joining us live tomorrow night. So if you are a NBA fan, you definitely want to go ahead and tune into that. And if you're a football fan, you definitely want to tune in. Um, so we got a great, great show. That's 9 p.m. Eastern time on all of our affiliates. If those of you are at work tomorrow, you want to listen to the show again, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com, Spotify, iTunes, and so on and so on. On behalf of everybody here, 
at Frankly Speaking Sports. I want to thank you so very much for tuning in this evening. Until tomorrow night, good night. Hey!